Uh, we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Craig asked me, and maybe some of you have seen this on Facebook, what is the title of my sermon? And I was thinking about this. For 10 years, I've preached Palm Sunday service here. And we've looked at different things over the years. We've looked at this false coronation. And what I mean, a, a false recognition of who Jesus truly was. We've seen that. Uh, we've looked at the response of the disciples. We've looked at the reason why they laid down reeds and palms and, and threw uh, their cloaks on a donkey. We've looked at all different viewpoints of this day. And, and one thing that we've never really looked at is, why a donkey? That's the title of my sermon, Why a Donkey? And I think that we're going to see that Scripture is going to unfold. And, and I'm going to also relate some things that happen in culture to this event. We're going to see prophecy fulfilled. Listen, there might be some of you that are struggling with your faith. And maybe it's just simply that you say, if I can't see it, I have a hard time struggling and understanding and believing something that I can't see physically. And how many of you know that Jesus said, blessed are those that do not see, but yet believe. And throughout Scripture, this last Monday, me and Missy was able to go see the new Lee Strobel movie with Rose and Ken. And I highly recommend it. It was a case for heaven. Just so well done. I just sat back. I can't wait until it comes out to be able to view it again. Because how many know that when you view something twice, usually you get so much more out of it. But I was just blown away and moved by that latest documentary that Lee Strobel put out. But Lee Strobel actually came out into the Christian world in his book, in the movie, A Case for Christ. And Lee Strobel was a uh, best-selling or best writer, and I think it was the New York Post, maybe. I might have that wrong. The Times, New York Times. And, and, and he had won awards, and what happened was this, is that his wife, of many, being married to her many, many years, gave her life to Christ, became born again, and had changed in such a way. For one, one reason, he, he said when she first got saved, she said, I almost felt threatened. I was wondering what this was going to do to my relationship and to my kids' relationship with her. And it actually caused him at first to dive deeper into his drinking and, and searching for other things and other venues and uh, besides Christ. And what happened was this. He said, I'm an award-winning investigator for the times. I've won prizes. And you know what? I'm going to investigate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm going to prove that it didn't happen. I'm going to prove that it wasn't real. And through his investigation, he ends up giving his life to Christ. Because he comes to find out that everything that had been depicted and written in Scripture was true. And today we're going to look at prophecy. How many know this last week, what we call Holy Week, reveals so many prophecies from the Old Testament? That everything that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, we see a lot of those things come to life in what we call the Holy Week in Scripture here. From Palm Sunday to the Resurrection. And it's just so powerful. And today I believe, listen, maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're listening at home, and maybe you have doubt. 
I believe that I'm going to be able to show you some things in God's Word that hopefully is going to convince you. It's going to cause you to get to the point where you say, man, I see it now. I believe it. So we're going to begin here in Luke 19, verse 28. But before we jump into that, I just want to give you a little background of what's happened here. Uh, we see in verse 18 at the end that Jesus foretells of his death for the third time to his disciples. And how many know that even though Jesus did that, that the disciples didn't get it? They didn't understand it. Their, their eyes were blinded. In fact, up until this point, I'm convinced that really only one of them truly understand that Jesus is the Messiah. But again, what was his view of Jesus being the Messiah? So we see that Jesus foretells of his death. And, and again, we know when that happens. Uh, and we've seen it happen. And even before, right before his death, we see that even his disciples arguing for their, what they believe is their rightful place. We also see in the beginning of verse 19 that we see this introduction and this meeting between Jesus and Zacchaeus. And what a powerful conversion. How powerful we see the love of God to a man that, again, in Jewish eyes, were, was the bottom of the bottom. He was a tax collector, a guy that had robbed from people, a guy that had, again, uh, made sure that he was getting his own above and beyond what Rome was asking. But we see that this powerful conversion takes place to the point that Zacchaeus makes things right. It's just so powerful. And then we see the parable of the ten talents. And again, if we read that wrong, this parable, you won't get what's being said in it. You won't understand it. You will miss it. And Jesus is talking, and you've got to understand the group of people that he's talking to here. So often I've heard that preached. It's so wrong. And then we see this triumphal entry. And we're going to begin reading in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went up ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And again, remember, going up to Jerusalem is simply this. It's just the elevation thing there. And actually where Jesus is coming from, it's actually about 5,000 foot of elevation that he's covering in this journey as he's going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he set two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And I was thinking about that. Here's this instruction. And again, this is going to be prophecy fulfilled. We're going to see this in Zechariah chapter 9, where this prophecy is going to be fulfilled to the latter of the words. But as I was going through this this past week, I was thinking to myself, who in their right mind would sit on a colt that has never been sat on for a false coronation or to bring somebody into Jerusalem that was going to be praised? How many know that animals that have never been ridden on is probably not the first best choice for someone to get on? The animal's not used to it. I remember one time at my grandmother's farm watching my dad and all his brothers try to get on a cow that had never been fed on. 
And I remember sitting there, and it was quite the entertainment. It was better than TV. And thank the Lord, I think there was only one of them that ended up with a broken arm. But just keep that in your mind. And it says this, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And he rode along, and they spread their cloaks on the road. And as they were drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had done. And they seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And I'm thinking about this. Remember in our teaching in the Gospel of Mark, up until this point, Jesus, uh, or up to just before this point, had always said, listen, be quiet. Don't declare who I am. When he was out traveling, out and about, when he was speaking to the multitudes, he was very quiet. He had healed people at times where he had said, listen, please keep this to yourself. And how many know that Scripture, it lets us know that these people were so excited, so moved that they told everyone. But Jesus is making it clear, listen, now is the time to announce who I am. And I can't imagine if they would have been silent. Again, I have no doubt because I believe that Scripture is real, that the words of God is true, that uh, I can't imagine those rocks crying out, can you? And I want you to imagine with me, okay, this time in the city of Jerusalem, it's at its peak. This is the tenth day of Nisan. And, and the tenth day of Nisan was, was a special day because this was a day where the children of Israel were to be commanded to go out and select one unblemished lamb for Passover, for sacrifice. One unblemished lamb. So the city streets would be just packed. They would be full. The crowds would be immense. The city would be overflowing. There would be campsites outside the city and, and there would just be people where it would be just be able to just to be able to move. Have you ever been in the crowd? I know since COVID, we probably a lot of us haven't been in crowds like that. But I remember being in crowds like that before where it's just uncomfortable and you got your hand on your wallet or you make sure you move that wallet to your front pocket for protection because you don't want anybody and everybody's touching you. I remember when we went to the Philippines, my very first time on a jeepney. And some of you that have been there, I see Evelyn McCoy here this morning. She knows this well. But I think of some of the guys that went with us. When you got into those jeepneys, there was people waiting there. And it was just everybody piled in. And you just didn't know how everybody was going to fit. And it wasn't comfortable, especially for a big guy. Because people are touching you in places you don't like to be touched. 
This is how Jerusalem was. It was packed to the brink. In verse 41, it says this, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So we see Jesus prophetically speaking this word. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. But again, this is the second time that we see actually Scripture say that Jesus wept. Do you remember when the first time was when Jesus wept? Lazarus, his friend. And again, I'll use that story of Lazarus at funerals because I really believe it speaks there again. I, we know that Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead. He told his disciples. They thought that Jesus meant that he was sleeping. And finally, Jesus comes right out and said, no, he's dead. He's dead, dead. We know that Jesus also knew because Jesus has foreknowledge, just like God the Father, that what? Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead. And I said, so looking at Scripture like that, and we understand too in that place of mourning for, for Lazarus, a lot of times these mourners were paid, right, to come and cry. Can you imagine that job? Oh man, my pet bunny died and, and I'm going to spend a couple hundred bucks and bring some people in to sit around and cry with me. That'd be a tough job, wouldn't it? I'm not a person, unless I'm peeling on onions, that I can make myself cry. I, I've tried it before. I often wonder how people can do it. But it's hard to fake that emotion, isn't it? I mean, anybody that's had kids, you've seen them try to fake it, right? And it's just horrible. It's recognizable, you know. <laughs> There's no tears in their eyes. I mean, even our little granddaughter, Margot. When she wants certain things, if she wants to eat, sometimes she'll do this little fake cry just to get your attention, even at her young age. So I believe that it Lazarus' death, that it, again, it was because of the unbelief that Jesus seen there. Here he had served these people. And we see here, it says, a multitude of disciples. He had served these people. He had done nothing but good. Through our study in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus, again, the Bible tells us that if all the miracles that Jesus did were recorded, that the world would not be able to contain its books. Think of how many miracles that is. Think of all the books of Jesus' miracles just being contained in this building, this sanctuary from the floor to the ceiling to where there's no unneeded space in between. That'd be a lot of books just thinking about it that way. So Jesus went around. He was healing. He was doing miracles nonstop. He had encountered so many people that we don't even see the insight from here in the Gospels. And he's weeping. And why is he weeping here? Again, it's because of unbelief. Because them not truly understanding 
why He had come and who He was and what God's plan was. Even though He told it to them plainly. And we see in verse 45, how many know that the temple was cleansed more than once? Everybody realized that, right? I have run into some people that say, man, it was only cleansed once. No. Jesus cleansed the temple in the beginning of His ministry and at the end of His ministry. And in the Gospel of Mark, it actually talks about Jesus that when He comes into Jerusalem that, that night, that day, He actually peers into the temple. So keep that in your mind. But we're going to read in verse 45, and it says, And He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Now think about that. He was a little bit more kind this time, because the first time, what did he do? It says that he actually made himself a whip. He actually flipped tables. I don't know of anything more violent, and you can try this today at home at lunch. Just in the middle of your lunch, just flip the table. It gets everybody attention. I've never done it. Maybe I will at our next family dinner. Just flip the table there with everything on it. And I'm thinking about Jesus in the beginning of His ministry went in and cleansed His Father's house. And then here, He comes into Jerusalem and actually says in Mark that He peered into the temple and then He left and then the next day He came back and He cleansed it. We're not told about the tables, but believe me, when you flip a table at Thanksgiving, you're going to hear about it for several Thanksgivings. People are going to be like, should we really invite Dave this year? Or should we make sure that he's at the kiddie table all by himself? You don't forget things like that. And I wonder here when he peered in at some of those same people, because I bet you that a lot of them were the same people. And remember what they were doing. They were ripping the people of God off. They were selling things in here that were three, four times the cost. Because they knew that people needed it for sacrifice to be able to follow the law. Remember what Jesus said. Uh, you know, he made it clear that he earlier in his ministry he had come to what to lift that burden from them. He says, "My yoke is easy, my burden is light." That's what Jesus was talking about there. And listen, it still applies in our life. If you have a burden. Listen, I, I encourage you to give it to Jesus. But he was talking about setting them free from the law. I can just imagine and picture what Jesus was thinking when He peered in there and He might have seen some of the similar faces that He had seen three years prior. He makes it clear again, my Father's house is a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. So He cleanses the temple and it says in verse 47, And He was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy Him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. How many know that throughout Jesus' ministry, and even the disciples, we see as Paul in his ministry, as he goes from missionary to missionary journey, the first thing he often did was what? Seek out the temple. And often he would be invited, and that's how this worked. Usually teachers were invited. But we see here the chief priests and the scribes and principal men, the people were seeking to destroy him. 
How many know at this point that there's wanted posters on the streets of Jerusalem for Jesus Christ? Remember, they were searching to destroy Him after the resurrection of the raising of the life of Lazarus. It says, Scripture makes it clear, they sought to kill Him. I remember last year's sermon, one thing that I pointed out was this idea in verse 48, but they did not find anything they could do for do, for all the people were hanging on His words. The people were drawn. And think about it, Jerusalem's overwhelmed and overflowing. How many know that people pleasers will do whatever they have to do not to cause the crowd to get shooken up? They've seen how the people hung on every one of his words. But again, I showed you last year that that word hanging, what it meant in the Greek, it was to be entertained. They were entertained by Jesus. And and last year's Palm Sunday message was simply this. Is that how we interact? Are we just entertained by Jesus? Are we fully in love with Him? Because this is what the people were. They were entertained. It was a show. It was something new. You understand, Passover happened all the time. And you were required as a good Jew to make a Passover. So journeying there was something that they knew. Understanding to pick out a lamb that was without blemish was not new to them. This had been going on for years. Ever since they were delivered from Egypt. But still, this crowd, they were entertaining. This was something new. This was a new attraction. How many have ever uh, been to Cedar Point? I think most of us because we're real close to it in Ohio. But I remember going to Cedar Point and I remember the highlight of going to Cedar Point was what? It wasn't going to the Blue Streak, right? Which was the oldest roller coaster there. The bumpiest roller coaster there. But it was what? Going to the new ride, wasn't it? In fact, They've got a way now, just like they do in Disney, where you can buy a pass to get you in front. You can pay extra to make sure that you get the latest thrill. Because we won't be entertained on the mine ride, will we? It's just a bummer. It used to be on the mine ride that used to take that. Me and my brother used to slap that sign and, and now they put cameras up. You can't even do that. Last time I did that, I almost got thrown out of the park. We're we're looking for something new, something to entertain us. And and again, there was no difference. These people were hanging on His words. They were entertained by what He was saying. Don't allow yourself to be entertained. Listen, this is what the false gospel does. This is what places do that have fog machines and disco balls in their time of praise and worship. Listen, it's all about entertainment. The sad thing is, is this, is you've got to continue to entertain. It's like a, magi- a magician that knows four, four, four tricks and he goes someplace and he does those four tricks. Listen, you're not going to come back and see him perform those four tricks trips a year later because you've already seen them. There's nothing new. 
you got to up your game. And see, the gospel should be real. Alive. It is real. It is alive. It's God breathed. It's something that you experience every day. And I will say this, it's new. Every day. I want to read something to you for maybe you that maybe are having a hard time because you can't see tangible things with your eyes and therefore it's affecting your faith. I want to read something to you that was actually written a thousand years before by King David. A thousand years before. And if you realize how the Bible is put together, you'd understand that this was not written and they were not able to go back and fill things in previous. But this was a thousand years before this day. It says this in Psalms 118, 19 through 20. Psalms 118, 19 through 20. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord and righteousness shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and that and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna! Save us! We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is good. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the, the, the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I'll give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. We see this crying out from King David and he's not talking about himself as far as being in the lineage. But he's talking about one to come. Save us, we pray. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These words were written a thousand years previous to the account that we're at in Luke 19. Now, I thought we would, this morning, by looking at customs and seeing what the Word of God says, uh, this whole idea, why a donkey? Why would Jesus come on a donkey? A foal, a colt that had never been ridden. You would think that a king, especially in a false coronation, would be on what? A white steed, right? A muscular white steed. And believe me, one day Jesus Christ is going to come back on a white steed. And I am so glad I'm not going to be here. Aren't you? Amen. I'm glad, Bob, that you feel that way. He is going to come back in a white steed. And it's going to be bloody. You'll be thankful that you're not here if you put your trust in, in Jesus Christ. But why a donkey? Let's look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And, and just for you that might be dealing with this whole thing of maybe your faith, I can't see it. Listen, this prophecy is actually 700 years prior to this account 
in Luke 19. 700 years before this was written. The title of my Bible simply says this, The Coming King of Zion. And in verse 9 it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and he's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. Incredible. Incredible. With our eyes, we can read something that was seven years prior that again reveals what we're looking at here. And we call Palm Sunday in Luke chapter 19. Why a donkey? Why a donkey? How many of you know that God never misses an opportunity as far as with culture, symbols that we see in Scripture? He never misses an op- opportunity. It's the foreshadowing in the Old Testament, of things to come. In Luke 19, the triumphal entry, Jesus' famous ride that we've heard about for years is on this lowly animal, on this donkey, on this foal, on this colt. And I believe that it reveals to us several things throughout Scripture that we need to pay attention to. So why a donkey? My first point is this, is that Christ is claiming His rightful place as the prophesied Messiah. You see, every Jew would know Zechariah's prophecy. Every Jew. Would have been something that they would have sat at night and recited. They would have, again, even to the youngest in the house, understood, would have understood what this prophecy was and And who had given it. And this is why the crowds this day hailed Jesus as their king, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see that in Matthew 21.9. They're declaring that Jesus is the true Messiah and King. Even though they understood what Jesus' kingdom was going to be. How many know that today that that is still, listen, such a heretical teaching that is out there that is so rampant. Do you all realize that the kingdom of God is not going to be here in our lifetime? That we are not going to, by anything we do here, usher in God's kingdom. Anytime you hear teaching otherwise, listen, I've been hearing more and more people. I had somebody that I really care about recently tell me, you've got to run for government office. And every Christian should run for government office. And every Christian should do, do this and this. And then once we overtake everything, that God's kingdom is going to come. How many realize we're not going to usher in the kingdom of God? It's a false teaching. And we need to be careful of that because you can get caught up in that. Listen, <clears throat> most Christians I know that get involved in politics want to get out once they get in. Or they're corrupted. What did Jesus say about the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is? Remember through our study of Mark that he said, the kingdom of God is here. But it's not there, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there, it's here. Jesus Christ is the kingdom of God. 
Jesus also rode on this donkey, this foal, this colt to symbolize peace. Why didn't Jesus ride on that white steed or that war horse? As we see him and as we are told and we believe that he's going to in the book of Revelation. In their culture, in the Middle East, during this time, world leaders rode horses if they rode in for war. But donkeys, if they came in peace. We see it throughout Scripture. Listen, Jesus wanted to make it clear that He wasn't coming to overthrow the Roman government. Like everybody believed that He was going to. They had seen His mighty works. They had heard of His miracles. The miracles that we haven't even heard about. I mean, the guy that could walk on water and calm the seas. This is a guy that, boy, you could believe could take over the Romans with no problem. In fact, we're going to see next week, even he had the power to speak certain words and cause soldiers to fall face down. Jesus came and he showed that he was coming in peace. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 33, we see the mention of Solomon riding on a donkey on the day that he was recognized as the new king of Israel. Coming in a peaceful way as their king. In other instances in the scripture, we also see things, and, and you can look, we don't have time this morning, uh, where people, our leaders, have rode on donkeys. We can see that in Judges 5, verse 10. You can see that in Judges 10, verse 4. You can see that in Judges 12, verse 14. And we can also see it in 2 Samuel 16. Verse 2, that's your homework for today. I just don't have time to cover all those instances, but I want you to know that what I'm telling you is the truth, so you can record those. The mention of the donkey in this prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9-10, fits the perfect description of a king who would be righteous, and a king that would be having salvation, and the ability to save. It also shows us that he was a gentle king. Rather than riding in to conquer, this king would enter in peace. It was all according to God's plan. In Zechariah 9.10 it says this, I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle vowed shall be cut off and he shall speak peace the nations. Verse 10, we clearly see that he was coming in peace. It continues by saying this, His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. This prophecy makes it clear that Jesus was coming in peace and that he was going to be the one that ruled over everything. Just not a territory, just not Jerusalem, but everything. What a proclamation. I want you to note the symbolic details that depict peace in this prophecy in just those two verses. It says this, cut off the chariots. Cut off the chariots. 
Again, the understanding that chariots were, at that time, their main vehicle of war. It says, cut off the war horses. And this prophecy is making it clear there was going to be no need for horses used in war. Another thing that we see that depicts peace here is it says that the battle bow will be cut off. The battle bow, I mean. <laughs> the battle bow will be cut off. There will be no need for bow and arrows. There will be no fighting. It says this in that prophecy, He will speak peace to the nations. We know that His message was one of reconciliation. It says He will rule and it shall be from sea to sea. It shows us that Jesus is going to be King of everything. There will be no enemies that even concern us. We see that Jesus fulfills this prediction, this prophecy in Zechariah. We see that worldwide peace is going to be proclaimed by this humble king. And we see a fulfillment that took place at his birth in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Listen, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Powerful. The third thing that we see by him riding on this donkey, this colt, this foal, that it shows the foreshadowing of a father sacrificing his own son. In Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, I want to read to you verses 1 through 19. Most of us know this story. We've heard this story in Sunday school. Maybe not all the graphic details, but we know it. This is this after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. One on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place in which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You see here, again, we got to understand that the donkey was for Isaac to ride upon. In fact, we see that the donkey's left there and Abraham takes his son off and he tells them. And again, the faith of Abraham is just unbelievable when he says this. Stay here with the donkey and the boy and I will go over there and worship, and come again to you. Now we know that Abraham didn't have to make that sacrifice, that God provided a sacrifice. But the foreshadowing of this story is one and only son. How many know that God provided a lamb to us without blemish? 
the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice. The fourth thing we see in Scripture is this, is that triumphal entry on a donkey symbolizes God's blessing to His people. In Genesis chapter 49, Genesis chapter 49, we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. Verses 10 through 12. And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey colt to the choice vine. He will wash his garments in wine, and his vestures in blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than milk. This prophetic foreshadowing, we know that Jesus is born of the tribe of Judah. We know that Jacob's prophecy here describes a king who washes with wine. And that wine there is a type of his blood. And it says that he has white teeth. That speaks of purity there. It's just amazing that these things that were spoken so many years before we can see in this day the triumphal entry. Another thing we see in Scripture is how many know, and, and I'm going to recount some stories to you this morning, that sometimes representatives from different groups of people in the Old Testament sent donkeys overloaded with gifts to appease wrath of their enemy, preventing any unneeded bloodshed. You say, well, where is that, Pastor? If you turn to Genesis chapter 33, Genesis chapter 33, in verse 8, we see here Jacob sent donkeys packed with treasures to avoid the wrath of his brother Esau. We know that the Bible also shows us that Abigail brought donkeys packed with food to keep David from killing her family because of her husband who angered David. And we see that in 1 Samuel 25, 1 Samuel 25, 23 through 26. 1 Samuel 25, 23 through 26. It says this. I'm going to read this. It says, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, One, me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears. And hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard the worthlessness, fellow Nabal, but also his name is also, is he, Nabal. Is he, is his name and folly is with him. But I, you, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as you shall, as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving you with, with your own hand. Now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And we see this amazing story in 1 Samuel 25, 23-26. And again, you can see the same idea 
with Jacob and Esau in Genesis 3, 8. I think about Jesus riding on that donkey. What a gift that He was going to be for us. The one who was going to face the wrath of God for us. See, in the garden when Jesus asked for that cup to be passed from Him, do you understand that was what was in that cup? We've taught it here. It was the wrath of God. It was the wrath of God that Jesus was asking if in any way possible to be removed. And through perfect obedience, He drank from that cup of wrath. He took all the wrath of God upon His shoulders for us. The last point I have here, why a donkey, is simply this, that Jesus demonstrated that He was the burden bearer who came to save us. This is this in Luke twenty four seven or Luke chapter two four through seven. We know. In fact, let's just turn there. Luke chapter two. It's just a little bit back from where we are. Luke chapter two four through seven. And it says this, and Joseph also went up each to his own town. And Joseph also went out from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And when they were, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to his firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid them in a manger, because there was no place for them in the, in the end. Now we know from this story, the birth of Jesus Christ, that they were traveling on a what? Donkey. Here was Messiah, who was carried on a donkey at the beginning of his birth, or just before his birth. The Bible makes it clear that he was humble. Why would he come in and be so humble? Was it to connect with people that were humble? We know who he appeared to and who the angels appeared to. Who um, that beautiful announcement was given to was those that were seen as the least in that day. But then we see Jesus here coming in again on a colt, on a donkey. Again, humble. Messiah that was compassionate. Messiah that showed love. I would ask you this morning just a couple questions. As I was thinking about this. That one point that always come back to me today when I was going through this message was that idea of, again, and just a reminder, we've got to make sure we're not entertained by Jesus. How many know that Jesus is not something to bring entertainment, but He's something to be worshipped? We have to be so careful. Do we just entertain His words and what He wrote? 
We just entertain and play with the ideas because the idea of entertainment is that idea of uh, something that amuses me. Does Jesus just amuse you? Or is He Lord of your life? He was our Messiah who came into Jerusalem, came up to Jerusalem, came into a city that was packed and overflowing. And after that triumphant entry where people cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, after they laid palms down in front of Him, He wept because of their unbelief. I'm going to ask you this morning, is there any unbelief between you and your God? Between you and Jesus this morning? How many know that Jesus is good for everything He's spoken for and God is good for everything that He's ever written in His Word? Maybe you have a situation in your life that just seems like it's too big. Maybe you have a situation in your life you just don't think that God can intervene. Maybe you'll think it'll never change. It's always going to be the same. Or maybe you did see a change and it's reverted back to what you've known. How many know it's natural to say, God, where are you? I've done it. You see King David, almost like this madman, at one minute he's praising God, and another time he's saying, God, where are you? What have you done to me? I think everybody in this room at one point or another has had that question, God, where are you? doesn't mean that we don't believe that God's not real, but we, maybe we just don't think that He's present. In our finite minds, we think that He's went someplace. But how many know that God is always there? He's always present. Our King came in on a donkey. At His birth, and the last week of His death here on earth, His life. Humble, a savior of peace and love. Are we making him into something that's false? Only you can answer that question. How can we make Jesus into something that's false? Not believing what he said? Not living the way that he said. How many know that most, the biggest conflict to people out in the world is somebody that doesn't live like Jesus? They proclaim one thing, but they live differently. How many know we've all blown it, right? But what do you do in those moments when you blow it? Do you humble yourself? Do you let people know that there's a Jesus that bigger than you that was perfect I've said this before Jesus was perfect so we wouldn't have to be you got to be careful how you take that statement part of the way it's like for me when I hear that statement it's like whew, take some pressure off of me but we know this that the Bible says that we are to become holy be those that are on our ever pursuit of becoming more like Jesus but I'm so glad that he was perfect. Because I don't have to be. 
but man, I want to, I want to run. I want to, I want to obtain that ever pursuit, that walk of holiness day by day. And the only way that happens is dying to ourselves. Crying out to Him in our time of need. Crying out to the Spirit that He's placed in us. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. This Friday, we're going to look at Jesus' last words here on earth. They're powerful. Life-giving. Freeing. I was thinking about the announcement that was made upon his birth and then the announcement that Jesus made as he took his last breath. It is finished. How powerful both those announcements were. How freeing. What a thing to rejoice over. So Father, we come to you today. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, we thank you for the prophecies that we've seen fulfilled throughout your scripture, throughout your word. It just shows us how real and alive your word is and how it needs to impact our lives. And Father, we thank you for it. And Father, I, I just ask, Lord, that you cause us, Lord, to never be entertained by you, but just to be overwhelmed with worship and praise. Lord, cause us, Lord, to be those that don't falsely make you king of our life by living one way and speaking another. But God, cause us, Lord, to be hearers and doers. And Father, cause us, Lord, to realize today that anybody that's hearing my voice, whether it be on the internet, in this room, to understand that you are a God that is gentle, that your son came in and on donkey that day because he was coming in peace. We see how gentle, how loving he was. Cause us not to misunderstand what Christ has done for us. As we've seen so many times that you can, again, simply by saying a prayer, sometimes people believe that they are born again and, and cause us not to be fooled. It causes us, Lord, to understand that it's a personal relationship with you, not a prayer that we prayed. So, Father, cause us, Lord, to surrender. Holy Spirit, we need your help in this day like never before. And Jesus, again, we see this in, in days to come when Jesus ascended into heaven. He, before he did, he said that he was going to leave us a helper that would be with us until the end of time. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you cause us to cry upon you in our time of need. Jesus and the Father knew exactly what they were doing when they left you with us. They knew exactly what our frailties would be. Those things that would, uh, again, uh, tempt us. Those things that would come against us. That would uh, cause us and ourselves to be moved. But the Father and Son seen it and they sent a helper. 
one that would be there in our time of need to cause us to surrender and, and cry out to you, Holy Spirit, as we navigate through this life. And Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you keep us, Lord, until we return. Cause us, Lord, to be salt, those that preserve the Word of God, those that uh, a preservation of, of your new spirit in us that we, we, we can go out into the world and people can see, man, there's people that stand for what's just, what's right. It causes us to be that light, that reflection of Christ that many might see, many might be drawn. It causes us, Lord, to love one another like never before because we know that your word says that they'll be drawn by the love that we have for one another in the household of God. So, Father, Holy Spirit, we need your help. Jesus, we thank you that you're interceding for us and we know it and we feel it and we are so grateful and thankful. Cause us never to forget it. Cause us to wake every morning with it on our tongue, our thankfulness and, and praise that we were able to receive that lamb that was without blemish, that perfect sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you for dying to give us life. So, Father, be with us until we return. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.